I think the public really, really doesn't understand cults. I think they don't understand the subtleties that get people involved. People don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to join a cult. Like nobody actually joins a cult. They go to a yoga class or a meditation class or they, they start going to their church and then, you know, develop a community and people that they like and they start coming back and then they go to a retreat and then there's more and more pressures on them and it's the slow thing. And I think people really don't understand that's usually how it happens. I mean, I've never heard of a guy who was just like, I want to be in a cult. I want to be financially abused and I want to be yelled at and I want to have my, you know, rights taken away. Like, yay, let's go do this. Like, I've never heard of anyone. And I feel like the public kind of thinks that for some reason. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Diana Levy, a journalist and the creator of the podcast Generation Cult. Thank you for being here, Diana. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited uh, to have you. And I was very excited when I found your podcast. I couldn't believe that there was a podcast uh, that focused on people who had experienced living in cults. And I've listened to a couple of your episodes. And I w- was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what made you decide to do this podcast. Yeah, I decided to do this podcast. It started with my own personal experience. I grew up in a group that could very well be called a cult. I consider it a cult. And it was a commune, um, not very well known. Um, It ended up kind of falling apart. And I didn't think a whole lot about it or, or really want to dissect it until I got a little older. And I, after working as a newspaper reporter for a little while, it kept bugging me that I had, I like facts, but I had this thing in the back of my mind, like what happened in my childhood? Was it actually a cult? What happened? And so I did started doing research. Um, I started interviewing people who grew up in the same community I did. I started reaching out to experts on cults and, and finding out about them. And through Through that process, I started, I learned a lot about cults and I I started meeting other people who were raised in cults that weren't mine, but I noticed a lot of similarities. And so I became fascinated by that. At first, I thought I wanted to write a book, but I couldn't quite organize it properly. And then I thought that podcasting would be a great way to get the information across. So I started going back to people I had already interviewed who who I had already known at this point for years and started asking certain people to be on my show, started interviewing them. And then that's kind of how it happened. So how was the response? What was the response like from especially the people you'd already known? and had already kind of shared with you their past to actually appear on your podcast? It was good. I mean, I had already interviewed a lot of these people. You know, when I first started, I thought I was going to do a book. So they had already sat down with me and done an interview and they already were used to me being that I also was somebody raised in a cult. I had I could relate to them. So they felt comfortable with me. So the response was pretty good. You know, some people could do it. Some people couldn't. And yeah, it just, it ended up working out. So I'm really happy about that. And I, 
I was sort of surprised by the number of people that you mentioned in, I think it was your very first episode, who have been involved in cults. And I, I, I wonder if the listening audience would also be surprised. Were you surprised when you found out what that number was? Yes, that was based on a statistic. It's a little bit outdated, but that was based on one of the only statistics I could find of people raised in cults. And I can't say it's 100% accurate. It's a little bit of a shaky statistic. Right. Well, because you've got self-reporting and then you've got that whole idea of the definition of a cult, which I know you bring up in, in at least your first episode, which is what is a cult, right? Because there is a little bit of controversy about that. And I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what your definition has become of a cult. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a shaky subject. But it, it, in my opinion, a group being a cult, it doesn't necessarily have to be religious, it has to do with the control that the group or the leader has over its members. One person told me something that really resonated. And it was how much do you lose if you leave? Do you lose your community? Do you lose your family? Do you lose your job? If you have a ton to lose when you leave, then it, it might be a cult. There are uh, some definitions, it, it deals with emotion control, uh, if it controls your everyday activities. You know, people get so wrapped up, their whole lives are in it. And so again, they lose a lot when they leave. So I think that's a good thing to look at. If you're going to define a cult, I mean, I know a lot of people think just like an obscure religion and, and it very well could be a cult if, if that, that group has a lot of control over its members. But I kind of base it on, I guess, someone what someone has to go through to stay and to get out. Yeah. And I think I have a little familiarity with this subject as well, because a parent of mine followed Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, which of course was a cult, but of course, there is that issue of what makes a cult. And you said it's kind of a sticky, you, you phrased it differently, but it's kind of a, a confusing subject because some people would say, well, how is mainstream religion not a cult? Is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. And I do get that a lot. <laughs> and I mean, I look at it on a spectrum. Um, I think just because a religion is well known doesn't make it not a cult. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, people who go to different churches or they study religions in different ways, their local organization could very well have cultic aspects to it, uh, mm -hmm. because it's incredibly controlling. So so I would say, yes, your mainstream religion could be a cult. It, it just, it all depends. Right. And I think a lot about the 70s and the 80s, and there there's programs on television and on Netflix and stuff about all the different kinds of cults there have been. And it seems like they had this golden era, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong and they are still around and thriving just as much as they ever were. What are your thoughts on that? I think they're around and thriving just as much as they ever were. They're just taking different forms. There are still cults out there. Uh, it's not as, I don't, at least I don't think, it's not as widely talked about. I know in the 80s and 90s, people were, you know, really upset about certain groups. Um, I think that there's still a lot of groups around. I think a lot of the groups that you've heard about from the 70s, the 80s, you know, the Moonies, like, mm -hmm. you know, all the, the different groups, they're still around in a certain capacity. Like they may have changed their name. But so in my opinion, cults have not gone away. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and maybe also the need for people to belong to a cult or to get that kind of leadership hasn't gone away. No, definitely not. Is there like a theme you see in in what the cults offer their people and or the type of personalities that you've talked to that can 
can speak to why people join them. And I know some of the people you talk to, maybe a lot of them were actually children on these cults. And so their parents were responsible for them being there. Yeah. Yeah. My show actually focuses on people brought up into these cults. So most of these people have not, didn't, didn't choose to join. They, they were just, they were brought in by parents. And that's an important point because I think, I mean, I would say that's a really big distinction because we might have sort of one thought about people who choose it for themselves and then take their families and do it versus the people who were subjected to a cult like atmosphere without their choice being considered at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And not to place a lot of judgment on people who choose to join. I think that those people definitely, you know, went through a lot and um, had their reasons for joining. And I think they were misled, too. So definitely like my sympathies, my empathy goes out to Mm -hmm. people who chose to join. But as somebody who grew up in one and knew other people who grew up in one, it, it is a little bit different because it's it's not like you had a life before and then this happened. It's like, that's what you grew up in. That's your whole world. And I think that kind of changes your perspective trying to move along in your life. Yeah. And the cult that you grew up in, I know you described it as you went to public school in the day. And then when you got home and you were in Santa Barbara, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in Santa Barbara. Um, it was a community connected to something called the United Lodge of Theosophists, which is connected to the Theosophical Society, which was started by somebody named H.P. Blavatsky back in uh, 1875, I believe. I hope mm-hmm. I'm not wrong about that date. And there are lots of United Lodges of Theosophists around our particular group developed a commune and we did have a leader who controlled a lot. So that's one reason I I believe it was a cult. Um, That said, we weren't that isolated. I went to public school. I was allowed to interact with other people. It was like kind of like one foot in this different community and then one foot in mainstream society, which kind of made things a bit confusing. Oh, yeah. Do you remember having uh, opinions about the way you lived back when you were little? Not really. Um, I mean, it was just the way I lived, you know, this was my life. And I mean, and it really like I know you say I was raised in a cult and people are like, oh, God, you know, what happened to you? It actually wasn't that bad. I mean, I lived around people that I liked. And, you know, there were some good people. I'm still in touch with people now. It, it, it was fine. I mean, and, you know, you're told as a child, you're so lucky. You're so special. You're so lucky to be part of this community. And so, you know, it actually feels good. Although once you're hanging out with other people, once you're in public school, you notice some differences you can't quite put your finger on. You know that your religion is maybe a little different than others. For whatever reason, I knew not to in any way talk about our community or what we studied. And that, I think, kind of divided me from other people in a certain way, maybe more emotionally. So there were differences, but it was really, really subtle. Mm -hmm. And did did you get to bring people back to your house or where you were living after school for to play and stuff? I do remember doing that. Yeah. And, and nobody really would have been able to tell. It's not like we lived in a bunch of tents and like there are tons of people shoved in one house or anything like that. People donated properties. I think 
toward the end, there was maybe about seven and we just lived on these properties. And sometimes we would share a house with another couple. Um, sometimes families would live together, but you know, if somebody came over, it just, it just looked like it was a property, just a regular property that we lived on. And did you see your parents regularly? Yeah, pretty, pretty regularly. Um, some of the other kids I grew up with, um, their parents were gone a lot. Um, the leader of this group had them do a lot of labor on his house and, and different other things. My parents did participate, but I had a severely disabled sister who needed a lot of care. And I think you know, for that reason, my mom was probably around a lot more. My dad was around a little bit more. So I did see my parents. Um, I mean, they would leave for different things that I didn't quite get. And again, other people in my group didn't get to see their parents as much. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it kind of varied. I think it just kind of varied from family to family. Yeah. And, and do you feel like the atmosphere, and I'm, I'm almost hesitant to call it a cult because of what you're describing and how you sort of related to it, but I guess where you grew up, this commune, did you feel like your parents were happy there? I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that. Yeah, I guess I guess they were. I mean, I know that there were some problems. Um, there was some drama. Uh, the group did divide over who still wanted to follow this leader and who didn't. And that caused a lot of turmoil. So I would say at certain points, they weren't happy. I mean, I think they liked it. I don't think anyone joins a, a group that ends up being a cult thinking, you know, oh, this is terrible. I mean, people, right. something keeps them in it. Something keeps them around. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not even really sure how to answer that question. Yeah, yeah I would okay. say some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> some of the time <laughs> well, they were like, happy. Really, right. Like, I mean, because <laughs> you think about, you know, commune living and, you know, group think and maybe it, it alleviates, you know, certain hardships. Maybe it makes parenting easier. You know, I, I certainly think that in some groups, you know, parenting is not actually emphasized at all, right? Like I know, for example, oh, yeah. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, you know, or later he was called Osho. I have a lot of information on him and that's only the beginning of what could be learned, but I've learned a little bit about him, you know, really did not want his followers to have children and kind of promoted sterilization and vasectomies and didn't really encourage people to be parents when they were following him because it got in the way of, I guess, enlightenment. Yeah. And I think that there was a little bit of that in ours. Again, lots of subtleties, but our leader did not particularly like the children or want us around and kind of saw us as a distraction. So there wasn't a big, I don't know, emphasis on like being around your children. I mean, I know that some of my friends, you know, felt very neglected, were, you know, left a lot. So I, I don't, you know, again, it wasn't as extreme, but there there was, I know that some of the people I grew up with didn't feel like they got to be around their parents or interact with their parents as much as they would have liked to. Mm -hmm. And those people that you're still in touch with, how are their relationships with their parents now for the most part? Um, I would say some are great and some are terrible. Ah, like all of <laughs> it us. all depends. <laughs> no, exactly. It all depends. And, I mean, again, that's the thing that's so confusing about what I was raised in. You know, there's all these subtleties. And, you know, you even said, like, can you even call it a cult? I firmly believe it was. I think it kind of checks all the boxes as far as the charismatic leader, the group think, you know, uh, all, all the control. I mean, I people are still, you know, 
being weird about me talking about it. I've definitely had some really unpleasant interactions with people. Are, are they afraid about uh, revealing what the ethos is to the general public? I'm not sure what it is. I think that they're, even though the group isn't really around anymore, I mean, there's a small subset of people who have stuck around, but even though it's not super active, I think that there remains this incredible loyalty to the group, to the people we grew up around, or for the adults, the people they were, they were friends with. And there's a big feeling of not wanting to, I guess, betray or, or make, make the group look bad. And so, so there's definitely been some pushback. Like people are like, why are you doing this? Why are you talking about this? Like, why mm -hmm. would you do this to people? Like, and I, I guess, you know, my answer to that is like, well, why can't I talk about it? Yeah. You know, why, why can't, and, and if I'm afraid to, then like, aren't I still under some sort of cultic influence? And in a certain way, aren't I, you know, responding to like a group thing? That's a really interesting point. Because if there's so much worry about sharing it, then that's, that's kind of suspect, right? Oh, definitely. And there, there definitely was, you know, while we were in the group, we didn't really talk, couldn't talk about it to other people. And, you know, even later after I left, it was just like, oh my God, I can't talk about this to people. You can't talk about it. And, you know, at one point, um, when I first started on this project, I, I told some of my friends I was raised with that I was going to do something uh, about our group. And most people were actually pretty supportive, but a few people got really, really angry. Hmm. Do you understand that anger? I I guess I do. I, I mean, I I guess I I understand. There there's kind of like a protectiveness about the group. Like we don't want everyone to think it was this big horrible thing, or like throw our parents under the bus, or yeah. you know, I, I don't know. So like I kind of I kind of get it. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like. Even though our group wasn't super extreme, even though there wasn't like stockpiling of weapons and like these major, you know, dramatic or violent events, I think that people were still deeply affected by it and it's worth talking about. So, yeah, that's kind of where I am with that. How did you, you, you mentioned, I forgot how you, you said it, but you mentioned that before it, you know, it ended or before you left, how did you come to stop being part of that group or living there? Well, I basically moved out of my parents' house, and that's kind of what happened. Mm -hmm. It was around uh, there, again, there was this big divide when I was maybe a teenager, and it was really confusing. All these people I had known my whole life just kind of disappeared. Like, people just took off. They were like, no, I don't want anything more to do with it. Would that be the people that you came up with that were in your yeah. Ah, so a lot of them who had been raised there and hadn't chosen it for themselves as young adults were leaving. Yeah, there were people who left and we stuck around. We like my family stuck around on one of the properties and we were still kind of involved. So I felt like the group had an influence on my life until I physically moved out of my parents' house. And that was 18. Some people, you know, would have a different story. Some people stuck around like they were still in the neighborhood, but they just didn't go to meetings or you know, hang out with the other people or anything like that. So I think they could probably say it stopped for me at age, I don't know, 14 or something. But I kind of just trace it back to when I physically left my my parents' house in, in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Does anyone in your family still follow this group? Uh, not this particular group, no. So leaving and having a life and being a journalist, it's it sounds like from what you said, you kind of forgot about 
your upbringing for a while, or I can't quite tell though, were you trying to actively forget it? Yeah, I was like super embarrassed. I was super embarrassed. I was like, what happened? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> I already felt like I was kind of a weird person anyway. And I, I you know, I, I guess I, you know, I'm one of those p- kind of people pleaser type personalities. Like, I'm not proud of it. I mean, I don't think it's bad or good. I, but I, I just bad. Don't <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I do kind of have that I want to, I want to fit in, you know, I had a, I don't don't feel like I really did that well as a child. And so it's like, I just, I just didn't want to be weird. And so I, I hit it. I mean, you know, so you came act- to know that like this was different because yeah. at, at school, it wasn't so, so different. But then as you got older, it sounds like you were, you realized, wow, this is really different from other people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did think that. And yeah, again, I was like, ugh, I, I, just, I just didn't want to deal with it. I was like, let's just put like, that just didn't happen. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it was, you know, it was pretty easy to gloss over it. It was like, yeah, I just I grew up in Santa Barbara. And now I'm here, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, I didn't, I, I mean, I barely spoke about it with my own husband. People would ask questions because of my name. It's Diana spelled D-H-Y-A-N-A, which means a meditation and contemplation. It's in Sanskrit. So like, people do have questions. And I, I don't know, I just it was like an awkward topic for me until I finally I, I got to this point after I had my daughter where I was like, you know what, I want to really figure out what this was. Like, what was this thing? Like, let's figure this out. And now that I have a better understanding, I, you know, I'm able to talk about it, but I still feel weird about it. Like, I still feel like I'm doing something wrong by even, you know, talking to you about it today. That's interesting. I wonder if that has to do with an internalized feeling as much yeah. as the actual people telling you occasionally, please stop this. <laughs> like, I, I think it is. I think it is. And it's one reason, you know, I, I I understand the people who don't want me to interview them or don't don't even want me to do this. Like I get it. I like feel it. It's like this weird feeling in my gut, you know, like you're not supposed to do this. And I mean, you know, it's definitely come up in therapy. So Yeah. Yeah. And and is there also so you were talking about sort of an embarrassment and I know you mentioned in your podcast a little bit about the shame about being in a cult. Yes. And that that is something that you see a lot. And do you understand what what that that kind of shame is around? Like what what is what are you hearing from the people you interview? Well, I know a lot of people I interview do have shame. And I think it just has to do with how the greater public as a whole looks at cults. I mean, you know, first of all, if you say cult to somebody, their mind goes to Jonestown or Heaven's mm-hmm. Gate or like some of the bigger name cults. And and they think about people, you know, in sweatsuits committing suicide or, you know, <laughs> just like different extreme things. And, and from there, they go to like, why would somebody ever join that? Those people are nuts. And then mm-hmm. so if somebody says I was in a cult, they're they come up with all these different, they have all these different ideas, you know? And and so, so yeah, there, there is a lot of shame, you know, even if you were just born in it, like the, you know, you don't want someone to think there's something wrong with you. So, and I, I think that's, that's really too bad that there's so much shame around it because, you know, people don't go to find help. I mean, you know, some people need help for, for some problems that developed well, while they were there, they were under a lot of emotional duress at the absolute least. And since they don't want anyone to know, and they don't want to address it, they just don't get the help. Yeah. And I think you, you said that there's a sort of profile, you know, obviously I don't want to say everyone, but there's sort of a a list of factors that kind of come 
into play for people who leave cults, including maybe struggles with money, I think you mentioned, and struggle relating to others and maybe lapses in education? Yeah, definitely. And this, you know, goes especially to the people who grew up in them. You know, some of the people who leave, they leave their whole family. Like they no longer have contact with anyone in their family. Maybe their whole friend group is gone. Um, Some of them didn't get an education because the leader or the group decided we don't want to, you know, these kids to grow up with a mainstream education. So some people come out and they haven't even, you know, gone past fourth grade. And so, you know, so what happens to somebody like that? Like what happens when you're like, wait, I don't want to be here anymore. You're out. You have nobody. You Mm -hmm. don't have any education. Yet you're a grown up, you don't have any savings or money. So yeah, that puts you in like in a really delicate position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then do you find a lot of the people you've talked to have addressed some of these issues in therapy or do some of them just not? not go on to try to figure it out a little bit? Most of the people who I've talked to have had therapy. I feel like by the time you get to me and you're on my show, you have really looked at what happened to you and thought about it and analyzed it. And a lot of times that that came with with help from, you know, a mental health professional. So the majority of the people I've interviewed, they, they have had therapy and it's been really helpful for them, myself included. Yeah, I would imagine to to try to dismantle all of that, because if your parents were involved in something, you can't really use them as sort of like a sounding board for it the same way. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely not. No. Do you feel that there's ever anger at play for people when they start working on this, you know, and trying to figure out what happened to them that that they get to an angry place about their parents? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People do feel angry. I think it's it's been a process for everyone. There are some people, you know, who never speak to their parents again. Their parents were abusive in the cult. They're abusive now. They don't talk to them. They have no relationship whatsoever. Um, On the other end, there are people who leave and maybe they keep in touch with their parents. Maybe they don't talk to them for a while, but circle back to them. But they come to an understanding of what their own parents went through and why mm-hmm. they were involved and maybe why they acted the way they did. And I found that a lot more people than I expected are are, are forgiving. You know, they, they look at it from their parents' point of view. You know, a lot of people come into these groups because they sometimes they, they need a community. They're in a transition period. And so... I think that there there is a lot of forgiveness. I, I think it also depends on the parent. I think if if mm-hmm. the parent is willing to, you know, sit down and listen to what their child has to say about what they thought about this experience. Because a lot of times parents in these groups, they're very consumed with their own experience and they don't yeah. think about like, what is your kid going through? And so I think people who can listen and understand, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of people coming back together with their parents and it's, it's great. I think that would be especially hard if you come from a cult where children are not as much encouraged or, or, you know, uh, shined a light on. Like, I think if, if you come from an atmosphere where children are sort of an afterthought, then it would Mm -hmm. be extra hard to maybe get your parents to then come to your side and realize like what it was like for you. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and again, I don't have statistics on this. Yeah. And is there something that lay people don't understand about cults? Is there something that you, you think people really don't get? Yeah. There's a lot of things I think people don't get. <laughs> and I mean, I, I want to preface this with, I'm just a journalist who's interviewed a lot of people raised in cults and I was raised in something called a cult and I'm definitely not a, I don't consider myself an expert and I'm not a mental health professional. So like take whatever I say with a grain of salt, but um, I think the public really, really doesn't understand cults. I think they don't understand the subtleties that get people involved. People don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to join a cult. Like nobody actually joins a cult. They go to a yoga mm. class or a meditation class, or they, they start going to their church and then, and then they, you know, develop a community and people that they like, and they start coming back and then they go to a retreat and then there's more and more pressures on them. And it's the slow, thing. And I think people really don't understand that's usually how it happens. I mean, I've never heard of a guy who was just like, I want to be in a cult. I want to be financially <laughs> abused and I want to be yelled at and I want to have my, you know, rights taken away. Like, yay, let's go do this. Like, I've never heard of anyone. And I feel like the public kind of thinks that for some reason, like, mm -hmm. You know, because well, it kind of makes it it takes like if you think that, then you can also decide that, oh, people who join cults aren't very smart or yes. aren't very savvy. And that maybe is a way to protect oneself from thinking they'd ever be vulnerable to something like that. Oh, that is so right. Yeah, there's you know, there's this reaction when somebody hears about a cult, especially one of the really extreme ones. And they go, oh, my God, that would never happen to me because I think that's just how people want to think, you know, you don't want to be scared and think that you're, you, this could happen to you, but when it all comes down to it, it, it could, I mean, so yeah. So be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't be super paranoid, but like, be careful of organizations that start demanding an excessive amount of time and money and, you know. And you're not talking about like um, career-wise, are you also? Because there are some like, you know, companies that require that kind of thing too. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it gets, that's where it gets shaky, you know, because some people could be like, I was in a company and it took every second of of my day. And, and I, I, I could, yeah, I could see how that would get confusing. I mean, I think that even in those cases, like, yeah, maybe you are in a cult-like environment. Like, you know, maybe right. you should look at, you know, you're in an unhealthy environment. You know, there's been kind of a little newer in the the cult studies world. People have been talking a lot about multi-level marketing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I attended the International Cultic Studies Association's annual conference. And there was this wonderful presentation by a lawyer who helps people who feels feel like they've been been hurt by these organizations because they it's kind of like the same pressure there's there's pressure and you know you're not that you're not being that successful but you're spending a lot of money so exactly it's an all or nothing type of commitment exactly and yeah and it's like that's another thing I should have said earlier it, you know a lot of it comes down to this like black and white thinking that people get into it's like it's all good or it's all bad and and mm -hmm. you know it, it, them us that kind of thing them us yeah I think that's actually a big sign of being in a cult-like environment you know if there's suddenly this us versus them you know, yeah. I'm not saying you're in a cult, but like maybe take a deeper look at what you're involved in. <laughs> That's um like a really funny opening sentence to anything. I'm not saying you're in a cult, but I know, seriously. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, someone told me that you have to be unhappy to search, you know, that 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 in their own experience following a cult, you know, they realize now 
that that they were really unhappy, which is why they went searching, right? And I think, I don't know what you think about that. And I also, you earlier mentioned something that I found really empathetic, which was about the parents who go to these, who went to these cults and then established their families there. A lot of them experienced their own disappointment and hardship or possibly even trauma growing up, which maybe left them more vulnerable to following someone in a cult. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, this isn't an across the board thing, but people do come into cults after, Usually after a transition period, they've moved and they don't know a lot of people. You know, a lot of people who I know who joined cults as an adult maybe had, you know, a not so great childhood. You know, maybe they were children of alcoholics or, or something like so there was something mm-hmm. missing. So that does happen. And I definitely think people join these groups because they're seeking. I don't think it's always negative. I think there are some people who are just they want to help the world in some way. So like it comes from a really good place. It just, mm-hmm. it just goes a little haywire. Yeah. Do you think any good comes out of the cults that you've talked to people from? I mean, yeah, like, I mean, there are good things like every single person I've talked to and I can say personally with my own experience, I mean, the community you gain is unbelievable. Like you, there are people you're not, related to who care about you and and you know that's great you have you have a support system so so good comes out of it in that sense but it's kind of a double-edged sword because if you leave then you leave that community and then that community Mm -hmm. could turn on you so so good does come out of it like I don't think just saying I was in a cult means everything bad happened to me right but you know, yeah, I don't hear that. No. I don't hear that that's what you're saying at all. I feel like you have like a really interesting, balanced kind of insight into this. And like, you're almost perfectly poised, I feel like, to interview people because you come from something like this, but it's just a type of what this is. And there's so many other types. So you kind of are, are actually learning more about something that you had something to do with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's been such a learning experience. I, I definitely have learned a lot, both through my own research, which included really interviewing a lot of people who were part of my own group and then putting it into perspective by, you know, I met a lot of really great people who have studied this stuff their whole life. They're therapists, they're authors and and so putting all that knowledge together and then throwing on top of it you know meeting all these other people who were raised in different cults and interviewing them it's it's been really educational is it ever hard um when you hear the stories from some of your guests to you know process what they're saying and kind of digest it yeah definitely i mean some people have some really horrific stories there's sexual abuse you know people who had a lot of physical punishment growing up. What I mean, it's, it's, it's nobody enjoys hearing that stuff. I think, you know, all my years as a newspaper reporter, having to cover disturbing situations mm-hmm. probably made me able to deal with it a little bit better. You know, again, like nobody likes hearing about stuff like that, but I feel like there is a part of me that can be like, okay, you know, and not, I guess, react. So, so it's definitely hard, you know, after I interview someone, I I do have to take a moment afterwards. I can't just jump into something else I've learned or I get a little frazzled. Definitely. It definitely makes you think. So, so it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it is kind of hard. Yes. (laughs) Long answer. Yes. (laughs) You know, I listened to the episode with Katerina. Yeah. 
I think it was your last episode of December. I'm not sure of the year. Yeah. And I was really struck by how how balanced she seemed. I don't know if you if you also felt that when you were listening to her talk about everything that happened to her. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I yeah, think she, it's kind of mm-hmm. I, I I guess I you know, I want people on my show who are balanced in their in their thinking or, or have mm-hmm. an interesting perspective on it. Yeah, she definitely she definitely does. I mean, it seems like she knows what happened, has perspective on it, and has like equal parts sense of humor and also a sober view of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. And her story, I think, points to one of the more extreme cults. Like there, <laughs> I mean, you have to listen to the episode, but there was a lot of drama and a lot of icky things that happened. So I, I think if you're, you know, I also like to interview people from cults that maybe didn't have as many dramatic things happen, but hers was particularly, I don't know, harsh. Maybe that's the word. Yeah. And that for, for anyone who wants to hear that is in um, season two and it's the medium and the time machine, right? That's right. So what about you as a parent now? How is it to raise your kid in a place that's not on a cult, but then maybe have the memories of being raised, you know, you're a mom now, I'm in a socioeconomic place. So what is that like when you contrast it with how you grew up and how do you feel as a mom? That's an interesting question. Um, I feel like I really, really want to teach my daughter about thinking for herself. And I know since we're all humans and we're social and, you know, and especially if you're a kid, you get caught up in group think. I feel like it's just really, really important for me to educate her about how like there are lots of different people with lots of different opinions and, you know, just because something somebody's mad doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. And just because somebody thinks one way doesn't mean that that's the way to think. So I mm-hmm. I feel like if I've taken anything from the experience, it's that, you know, really, really think for yourself. Try try not to get get caught up in this group. I mean, she's eight. So there's really <laughs> only so much you can do. But another thing is you don't have to be friends with everyone. I know that sounds mean. And for an eight year old, she's like, what? No. my teacher says you have to be friends with everyone. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know, one thing <laughs> when you're raised in a community, it's like you don't really like even if you don't like someone, <laughs> even if they're mean to you. I mean, there were some families that were a little strange in our group. Some weren't very nice. There were some, I mean, again, some people who were lovely. Um, See, I'm defensive about Mm -hmm. it already. But the thing is, is like, you didn't really have a choice. It's like, you're going over to this person's house today. You have to go spend time with this person. I... I'm very aware of that with my daughter. It's it's like, you do not have to be around these people if you don't feel comfortable. Do you think it's sort of like a, a satisfying ability to do that because you couldn't when you were a kid? Definitely. Yeah, I can see that. I'm curious about that defensiveness that you just <laughs> noticed in yourself. I'm just really curious. I, I'm i wondering in that moment how much of that was because you were worried people were going to get mad at you or because you feel like you're betraying your community. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And again, it's weird. It's so strange. It's not rational. You know, it's not... I can't, I can't talk myself out of it. I feel like we're so trained not to say anything bad about our community, to be nothing but grateful to the point where if I point out anything that I had a problem with, even if everyone agrees with me, I feel like I'm 
yeah, betraying in a way. And so I do. Yeah, I catch myself being defensive all the time about it, being hmm. like, no, no, I'm not saying it's all bad. It wasn't all bad. <laughs> and then I know I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's like this weird, like internal struggle. <laughs> Is it like if someone you know or your husband says something derogatory, you would probably jump to totally. the defense of the community? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you can, I can insult my community, but exactly. you can't. Exactly. It's like your family. You can say things about your right. family, but other people can't. I feel that way about my cult. Like, <laughs> that's a great one that's going to go down in the books okay. <laughs> but do you also feel like you don't like to badmouth you know speaking about family I'm just curious how you are in the rest of your life or if this is a, a community slash cult specific reaction you have like do you have that kind of waffling back and forth with other things in your no, life or really. are you pretty no no not really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I don't want to be a jerk like I, I try not to be a jerk <laughs> who just says mean things about people I mean I again I I like people I want people to like me I, I don't want to be mean but like you know, usually if like there's a problem or there's an issue with something, I don't have a problem saying it because it's like, that's a fact. I saw that problem. <laughs> so I think that that is where I started to identify some of the internal struggles I've had based on how I was raised, because I would mm -hmm. notice this reaction I would have, this like protectiveness, this like defensiveness that I would have. And again, I, I, I still can't talk myself out of it. Right. And I think from all my years of therapy too, I think I've learned, and I'm sure you know this, like sometimes just noticing it is the beginning, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, yeah. That's sometimes all we can do. Yeah. That's so true. Just being aware of certain things, certain reactions I have to certain things. Yeah. I think it does help because it's like, you know, I'll, I'll have a reaction on the inside and then I can kind of be like, oh, it's this again. Because what, 20 years ago, however many years ago, you might not have even realized you were doing oh, that. absolutely so, not. You know. Absolutely not. And that's, again, why I think therapy is so has been so great for me and for other people in a similar situation because it kind of helps you like step outside yourself and and get yeah. another perspective. Well, definitely the perspective because otherwise you wouldn't even understand like, you know, that this wasn't the norm for a lot of people. Yeah. How many years in total did you live there on the community? I mean, my whole life. Like I grew up born, raised. Um, you know, I said I, I didn't feel like I really left it until I was 18. So I guess 18 years. That's okay. like, if I have to define yeah. it. I mean, you know, our group had some turmoil um, when I was a teenager. Some people decided the leader wasn't someone they wanted to follow anymore. And it caused a big divide and things fell apart. And even if you still went to the meetings and everything, it was different and more empty. So it definitely hmm. changed. You know, I'd say the last several years I was in it, it was different, but I was still in it. Do you think that all cults must come to an end or do you think there are some that are just going to never, never fall apart? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I just thought of it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I think I'm going to have to go back to the it all depends. Honestly, mm -hmm. I don't I don't really think a lot of them that people think have gone away have actually gone away. Like they may be more subtle. Mm -hmm. They may have changed their name. God, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be. It all depends to know would be my answer to that, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I. Uh, it's so interesting. I just would love, okay, so I want you to tell 
listeners where they should find you your or your writing your whatever you want to tell listeners to find, you can do that right now. Oh, okay. Well, um, my show is called Generation Cult. It's um, If you listen to podcasts, it, you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all of those different places. There's a Facebook page, Generation Cult. There's a Twitter account, at Generation Cult. There's a website, generationcult.com. So if you want to check it out that way, you can. As far as my other writing goes, you know, I've written for multiple publications. You can Google me. A lot of cults stuff comes out now up now if you google me which is a little like unsettling but um you know i've written for several newspapers in california i I was overseas in cambodia for a while so you can see some of the stuff i've written none of the stuff i've written for newspapers is about cults it's mostly like environment and law and entertainment totally different topic i was so happy you were able to talk and you wanted to so i appreciate it a lot oh yeah no thanks for asking me Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening. 